0: Welcome to the Ford Hastings podcast. If you want to be the best business, you need the best leaders, and simply, we bring you the best leaders. Ford Hastings is an executive search consultancy that helps you transform your high-growth business. If you'd like to know more about anything Ford Hastings, please get in touch with Will at whastings at fordhastings.com. with Mark Kirby, uh, founder and CEO or ex uh, CEO of Go Response and CEO of Cart Assist. Hello, Mark. Hi there. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And I'm obviously here with Will. Hello, um, Mark. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Glad to be here. Um, let's just kick right off and ask you first of all for a little bit of a description about your career history, so the audience can find out who you are. Wow. Okay.
1: How far back should we go? Um, go right to the very beginning. R- the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I think what was
0: the very beginning? Well,
1: I think I had a. Uh, from the womb. Yeah, from the womb. <laughs> uh, came out of there and had a, a paper round uh, and then a washing car round. I think my first proper business was this is back to showing how old I am now, back in the days of VHS. Um, What's VHS, um, sorry? Ah, oh, there
0: we are. <laughs> <laughs> there we
1: <show. laughs> Video cassettes that we used to um, So um, um, I had a, a round around a couple of the local council states where um, I had a, a Morris minor where he said, have all these kind of dodgy pirate videos in the back of the car and um, go around and do a kind of a rental to one of these uh, kind of houses around there. So that was my first bit of business until we got into uh, kind of uh, a tape of the rental wars with uh, other (laughs) factions, and so... uh, Price uh, war. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Um, So did the school thing, um, went to university, um, and then I got asked to leave there after a year. Why? Wasn't quite the course for me. I was, um, i was always been fascinated with psychology, um, and this was a behavioral sciences college uh, course. And I went, I went there, 50% of it was biology, which I hadn't done since I was like 12. Um, so, um, kind of struggled with it a bit. And at the same time, I was starting to kind of find my feet with other things that were taking my interest in terms of little um, kind of business uh, opportunities and music and things like that. Um, so, I wanted to go and then join a, um, um, uh, become a sound engineer, um, because of my were out my life was being music. Um, this was probably about two recessions ago, 1987-88, something like that. Um, and studios were kind of closing down, I thought, well, I don't want to be doing, doing a two-year um, engineering course, I need to find that the, the whole thing's folded around me. So um, uh, my uncle at the time, he knew someone that worked for a TV station. <coughs> and. Um, so, I, it was called Super Channel, uh, which was based up in the Docklands before the Docklands all became financial, it was quite a creative area, um, that's where they used to have all the big breakfasts and um, all of these other uh, kind of uh, production houses and stuff, so it was a really cool area um, before it all became financial, um, and um, so I went up there to have a look around to see if it was the kind of thing that I'd like, to, uh, you know, TV rather than uh, uh, music, would that be something of interest? Um, so I thought we should go for a little tour, and then I got wheeled into, I didn't even know what a human resources office was, <laughs> uh, and I remember this um, uh, lady just slamming down this print of, um, I don't even remember, the kind of concertina print with all the holes on the edge, yep. you know, the kind of computer print stuff, it was a big wall of that, and she threw that in front of me and said, what do you think of that? I thought, what do I do here? <laughs> I'm not even sure why I'm in this room in the first place. Um, and I looked down, and what it was—it was it a was schedule for the whole of the all of the elements of the, the TV for the whole day. And if you forget that every ident, every one-second flash, every kind of uh, break intro, outro, etc. Obviously, has to be timed and inserted, etc. Yeah. And this was before it all went digital. This was loads of these kind of tapes that were kind of had machines arms that were putting them in and uh, taking them out, etc. Um, in the uh, in the production suite, and um, I looked out, and then I, for some reason, I've never been good at keeping my mouth shut. I said, "Well, that's not right." She said, "What's that?" I said, well, there's a thirty second break there, and you've got a twenty second gap. Um, and then she went red, and I thought, oh, "This is great." I've only come up to have a look around, and, um, <laughs> and yeah, this is before mobile phones. By the time I got home, there's about four phone calls, and they asked me if I wanted to have a job. So. And the job was called Traffic, and I thought, well, I know I didn't kind of succeed and get my degree, but I um, didn't think I was going to be a <laughs> lollipop man. Um, so um, I um, uh, then found out the traffic was actually shedding all the commercials to the break. So that was my first job was um, working for this TV station up in the, um, the, um, uh, the Docklands, uh, broadcast around 54 countries, I think it was around Europe, uh, all pre sky in uh, those days. and. Um, um, yeah, so I was responsible for, for doing that, and then um got to know a lot of the engineers and producers. So my first proper business was at the age of 19, it uh, was called Sounds Creation Limited, and that was writing jingles and TV titles for all of these producers and for the, the actual TV station itself, and then of course they all um, freelanced around other places, so I was working for doing stuff for ITV and for Body Shop and CNA. And, all these kind of places. So just a crazy kind of opportunity wow. to have met. So, so
0: did you sort of just see the opportunity there or would get talking to other people or how did it sort of come about? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I look back now and I think, oh, I forgot to say, you know, and the, the number of things, it was a great, great grounding this uh, first job I had because it was just nutty place. places. It was one of those where everyone just walked around with sunglasses indoors all the time and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, and it was like the poor man's MTV. So they had that like kind of music, but they had other kind of, um, all sorts of, of, of really... Non logical programming, really. Uh, But um, um, I think it was a a big tax loss for this big Italian family that was a mountain over in Italy or whatever, that (laughs) politicians, whatever else, pharmaceutical companies and things. Um, And I actually ended up, you know, from someone that was 18, 19 years old, really getting quite deep with, uh, involved with the business. And there was just crazy things that uh, I kind of got, I'd wake up one day and I've got to say, none of these things ever worked as they they couldn't have really. but uh, suddenly woke up and they needed to do a travel program, and I remember thinking, "That's right, I will do what I do. I ring up Richard Branson because he was flying these big balloons at the time and trying to do records. And I thought, well, 'Oh, we're getting to do a travel program wherever he lands his balloon.' So I'm now talking to kind of Richard Branson's secretary about doing a TV program. I'm 18 years old, no one's ever told me I can. I've got this freedom to do it or whatever. But it was just that—that that was a great time in the 80s. Like, yeah. If you were creative and you know whatever, you just went off and did what you want, you know. So. Um, yeah, all sorts of things. I was trying to TV, not um the, the, uh, 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 the London Docklands, Dun- 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 Docklands Corporation, whatever they were called at the time, were having to blow up some of the chimneys. So I decided, yeah, we're a music station, we can um, uh, well, get in touch with the Stones and we'll blow up these chimneys while, we're, while they're playing and we'll have it all videoed and we can have it then kind of broadcast around the world and stuff and then we'll have the lights on that. No, actually, I'm 18 years old. I'm trying to negotiate a, a, a demolition contract from a studio. But having that kind thing, oh god, you know, it really needed to be rained in a bit, really. But it was great to have that kind of creativity. Yeah, in the uh, same
0: breath, the creative license, yeah, you know,
1: it just gives
0: you a wonderful grounding. Yeah, thing. it was. Yeah, yeah.
1: And to be honest with you, like, you know, one of the biggest attributes I think that you can have uh, with running a business or whatever is naivety. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that's, what do you mean by that? I think when you become too wise um, and think you know all of the, the things that will happen before they happen because you've been there and done it, you actually restrict yourself. Yeah. Um, and you lose the ability to be disruptive um, because very you, you end up following the formula because that's the formula of that business or the game. So pretty much most businesses that I've been involved in, I've tried to ensure it's not something I had a great experience about. So naivety I think is a great asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons that um, the last business that I sold after 13 years, I got out of that because I was starting to become an expert in that business, and um, you start to lose a bit. I feel about um, yeah, just that disruptive touch or whatever. That um,
0: it uh, sounds counterintuitive um, yeah. when you when you say it at first, doesn't it? Sort of be be the naive interpreter of the industry. But I think they call that beginner's mind. You know, when even if yeah. you're seasoned, go in with beginner's mind. Otherwise, you, as you say, you just become too indoctrinated and, yeah. and stuck in your ways, etc. Yeah. So,
1: it? It's very easy, I think, when you're running businesses, working for business, or whatever, that you become skilled at what you do, and you focus too much on the doing rather than what you're achieving, mm. and such. such. Um, and I'm... Uh, you know, have to, because um, it's the only way I can be, is act simple. Um, and the world is really simple. At the end of the day, all we're doing is creating conversations between people. Mm. Um, so people... You're you're creating a relationship Mm. and actually we make that so complicated where we forget about the actual person at the end that we're trying to deliver something to because we're so involved with this creation that we're trying to have in the middle of it. Um, And so many businesses you see actually have completely lost sight of who the customer is and what the customer's excited about and why the customer will go to them rather than anyone else. Because it's so focused on trying to make the shiny toy shinier than ever. Yeah. Um, um, and actually the customers <laughs> doing what all of us do, have about 200 things going on in their lives, not waiting for a, a nicer, shinier toy than what you were offering yesterday. So um, so I think that's where the naivety, you know, but everything that I've kind of gone into first. Um, it's it really started by thinking, uh, how do we make someone say, wow, and then build back from that, really, um, and that makes it a bit simpler. <laughs> so. I,
0: I think we've already got two wonderful bits of advice for the notes, which is be naive and act simple yeah, <laughs> in, in a world where everybody tries to complicate it. do this. Right? And I actually really like the the angle of be it, everything is narrative and relationship-driven, yeah. um, which I think is often forgotten, as you say. We're focused on building lovely, shiny products, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think you have an interesting uh, perspective on all of that, considering you've built a customer Call center business and then digital customer experience, uh, which we'll touch on later. But I I, I personally really, that resonates with me. I think being music driven probably helps. There's three of us
1: in this room, and I think we all fit. I'm keeping very quiet. (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be something freeing, though, about not having to be the
0: expert in the room. Because you can always sort of say the, well, why question. That, That doesn't make sense.
1: It is, and that's where I think the nighty comes in, because you don't have shame then, you know, because yeah. when you're uh, supposed to be this big prior of all this in- information, etc., you almost have to make sure that your peers are kind of be you're know, saying the right thing for your peers yeah. to kind of judge yeah. you in that way. Kind of, when you actually completely kind of uh, did low to the, the whole situation, but you just know you yeah, have that absolute commitment and kind of vision of what it is that you believe and see or whatever. But yeah. then, um, you know, with a lot of people, I kind of, the vision thing probably will come up a big uh, a big theme uh, in, in this chat, but that is the critical part for me. Um, in it, and, uh, and it is about making things simple. I mean, if I said to you guys that we've gotten really well, let's go off to Ibiza for the weekend and go kind of to the closing parties or whatever's going on now, I think we're about a month behind all that. Um, but so if, if we said that, uh, um, and you like the idea of it, and you would say, yeah, cool, let's do it. This is going well. <laughs> yeah, this is going well. Do but you don't think about all the obstacles of getting there, because you actually see that what the end game is. and think, cool, I'm committed to that. That sounds like an opportunity I shouldn't have missed. Um, I think where we get complicated is if we, start to, if we start not from the end game and start to think, well, let's just deal with that um, uh, and roll it backwards." So if we start to work out, well, oh, how am I going to get my tickets and I've got, to, uh, got that uh, commitment and I've got to... When we start from the front and try and build forwards in order to do things, then everything looks like an obstacle. And I just think it's a lot easier to start from the end, get excited about that, and that passion and excitement motivates yourself and motivates everyone else around you and makes things simple. (laughs) Okay, so have
0: vision, really, um, and that that allows everything else to sort of unfold because you know what you're aiming for. Yeah. Yeah. So my old mentor said to me, um, two things, don't start everywhere and finish nowhere,
2: (laughs) and,
0: and know your point B. Yeah, well, you know, it's the same as having a vision, um, and I guess in that regard, I mean, obstacles obviously do come up. Um, yes. Yeah. But if you have vision, then then you you're more sort of uh, compelled to undertake yeah. and surpass the obstacles, and yeah. and the obstacles become the way. But actually, because you know where you're going, it's just it's just something to. Over-
1: yeah, absolutely. I was talking to Will um, just before we came in about where I'm based, and I live quite close to Fran's Hatch. And I've been on a few track days and stuff. And if I don't know if you guys have ever been on any kind of driving experience, say yes, yep. so. If you ever have any of those where um, you've got the instructor next to you, one of the big things I show you as you try to take the corners and the apexes and stuff is look at where you want to end up, don't look at the actual corner you're trying to drive into because you'll just innately get to the, the end point, your brain will take you there. And it's very much like life, you know, if you actually just keep your eye on the distance of where you're trying to go and not concentrate on. I've got to turn the steering wheel here, and I've got to hit that bit there on the curb, or you know, to um, we we become frustrated and very short-sighted in terms of what we're doing, and it slows us down. So, yeah, there was a bit of topical kind of conversation I brought back in from Branson. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're doing this traffic coordinator
0: role. You were trying to get oh, Branson yeah. on the phone. Yeah. You know, just uh, bringing back coming, coming back to that, yeah. um, the stones, etc. So what happened after that? Um, with a be redundant.
1: <laughs> Stop trying to get Richard Branson on the boat. No, <laughs> no means, I mean, it was. I was out there for about three years, I think three or four years, and it was a fantastic ride. Um, you know, um, I think it was the youngest um, director in TV. I think they made me the marketing director um, before. Uh, they got taken over by NBC, the uh, uh, the American network, and uh, and basically the, the NBC were buying it for the network, not for the productions and the, the content that they were showing. So... Um, I had long hair and all the rest of it, but then I didn't really fit with the news channel. Um, so yeah, so that was that. Um, and at the time, um, my father was getting involved because uh, he had been made redundant a couple of years earlier. So he um, he was starting up and taking on a franchise called Mailboxes Etc, MBE, um, a retail franchise, which uh, was actually the third largest franchise worldwide uh, at the time, and um, asked me if I wanted to kind of join him on that. So um, we Put the store together, um, which it was in Croydon, and then there was uh, issues going on with the master licensee because it's an American franchise company, and they license kind of different territories to master licensees um, who then uh, sell the franchises within those territories. Okay. Um, so it, it was a good, interesting, kind of um, uh, basically mailboxes, etc. They had mailboxes, so you could have business addresses. So this is where in all these terms like Soho, small office, home office workers, and that was really starting to become hip. Um, and so people kind of working from home and wanting to have a home office or a small office, didn't have all the facilities that uh, um, you would have in a larger office, basically that was a kind of a retail front. So you had postage, you had parcels, you had um, photocopying, colour copying, all of those kind of things that you might not have at your disposal. So yeah, we opened the store in Croydon um, and within a year um, we got asked, to they had defranchised the master licensee, um, and basically, the Americans then basically ran it as a subterritory for themselves. And uh, both my father and myself got asked to um, become part of the, the operation there. So that was a bit quirky. Um, so we were store number four, I think, when we took on the franchise. Um, I became um, marketing manager, then operations director, eventually. Um, so, and you, so
0: So you were employed by Mailbox, was
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was employed by them. Um, my dad was MD for a while, for a couple of years, and then he moved on. Um, I stayed and I think I was there about 5 years or so. Yeah. Um and so I was responsible basically for all of the um once they basically sold, uh, signed on the contracts to say they're going to be a franchisee everything past then was really under my remit. So I think I was only about 22 23 then so still quite young. So um and franchising is another so I've gone through some really crazy learnings you know you've got the creative world which was interesting um and then franchising is a really bizarre world because you've got some um, Franchisees that have um, remortgaged a house or come out of redundancy with fifty grand or whatever it is and want to be their own boss, uh, but haven't got the confidence to do it themselves, and then so they're basically giving you the money to become a boss. So they pay you, but you've got to tell them what to do. Um, So you've got this constant battle of trying to keep franchisees in line, and they've got to basically uh, play, uh, you know, the company tunes, etc. But um, you know they. See, well, actually, I don't want to spend my money marketing there. I want to spend my money marketing here. It's my money, I'll do what I want with it. So, yep. there's a real kind of um, that was a great education in kind of negotiation and learning and, and battles and all of those kind of things. Because, again, you know, most of these guys have got 20 30 years on me. Um,
0: how did you find um, having to deal with people that were 20 or 30 years older than you and the perception of you being a 23 year old? Operations director or whatever, because it's you know it's fairly young. Yeah. You've had a super concentrated career to date um, at that point in time. Yeah. But how did you deal with that?
1: Well, it's a good question. It's fascinating because uh, the the other dimension was while well, my father was working there, then there's this nepotism thing. i you know, I'm working. I'm just brought in because I'm the son of it. Um. So I had that to deal with uh, both from uh, working inside t- the business and obviously for the franchisees as well, and then trying to gain the respect of the franchisees. Part of it was naivety again, bringing that back. So if you really believe that you're doing the right thing that's helping these guys, then you you kind of just roll through with that. Um, And I was, you know, we'd work city hours. I mean, we had franchises all up and down the country and Ireland and stuff like that. So, you know, I'd be getting up at three in the morning, driving up to Manchester, Coventry, all this kind of stuff, and not getting back to midnight. I wish I had that energy now, but... um, (laughs) um, but, um, So, yeah, there was a lot of commitment and passion. and I think that kind of gave me some grace as well, that people saw that... uh, um, you know, I wasn't just uh, um, uh, uh, going along for the ride, um, but also um, uh, you know, read a lot of books at the time, listened to a lot of audio tapes at the time, and um, you know, the land of the blind, the blind man was king. And if I could
0: give them a bit of wisdom that was beyond what they already had, then you know, that, that helps. That was actually the third piece of advice
1: from my mentor as well. <laughs> <Was it>? Yeah, <laughs> the accountant, the king yeah, of the blind. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Must be mental. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so that was about four or five years, but it was a tough, you know, I will not deny that, um, but all for good reasons, really, that it was tough, you know, because you've got some people very passionate, um, you're telling them how to run their business when you're, you know, pretty young and um, uh, haven't got the years on them, but um, that's where you kind of learn to do a lot of the relationship stuff and listen and. Um, objection handling and kind of working with people, and, um, and that really has, I think, probably given me the best grounding um, at that time in franchising now, so sort of, uh, all of the kind of work experience. So I did that until I was about 28, I think I was, and then I realized that over the course of that five years, i would actually built out five, uh, no, about 50 stores. So it's mm-hmm. gone from four to 50, and literally everything from shop fits or supplier negotiations, international negotiations, the supply to Canada and so, America and stuff like that to meet with Xeroxes and all these kind of people, and so it was a great, great um, kind of learning of meeting all sorts of um, different types of um, um, parties. And then I thought, actually, I don't really want to stay in the world of franchising, but um, I don't know what my next kind of move is, because I haven't got a natural kind of path of becoming an expert or uh, renowned in this particular thing other than working with that, so I decided i need to go for work for myself, so... um, so I realized actually I was helping come these 50 stores uh, put together the marketing and to, to build up the sales et cetera but, well, it's not really limited to these businesses it's the same principles for all businesses so um so I started up a, a business called go marketing um, which was to provide um, marketing um, agency uh, a marketing agency marketing support for kind of one to two million pound businesses tended to be family businesses um, uh, that had basically got hit a rut you know and, and needed to um, get over that right bit. So and so that, that was a great experience. Um so those were the days and then everything's a lesson, isn't it, in life? Mm. Um but this was when internet was um all done through kind of the, the copper telephone lines and whenever you load up an internet page it would almost be doing it line by line as it goes across Come the Come back screen.
0: and make dinner while it looks yeah.
1: <laughs> and I was um, I, as I was leaving um, the, I bought myself um so I got myself a new mobile phone which was my business phone and all this so as uh, so I was just working out the contract with um, um, mailboxes, etc., I remember getting a phone call coming in, this guy saying, uh, do you do telemarketing? I said, of course we do. <laughs> and I'm uh, in telemarketing into Yahoo or out of Vista or whatever it was then, and waiting for line by line is coming up, just talking some absolute crap for about five minutes until I can get this web page up, you know, to actually start to understand what telemarketing was, and just waffled basically back this paragraph that was in front of me or someone else had a based up in the Midlands or something like that. And I've got the business, oh, blimey. Um, so, um, yeah, so it started from being a kind of consultancy, and then started. So, I started outsourcing the telemarketing, first of all, um, and then eventually realized that you know it's better to bring it in house. So, um, uh, this is all based down in Croydon. So, there was myself and a a partner, he had the grey hair, so we gave a, a sensible look to the operation. Um, and um, yeah, we set up a kind of a telemarketing aspect of the business, but the. A big learning with that was is that I didn't really have a vision at the beginning of it. So I go back to the vision thing. Um, and basically, if anyone said, "Can you do this?" Yes, mm. yes.
0: Um, what gave you the confidence? Um, I know you—you you know—you did a lot of things at the Mailbox place, but you know, still, what mid to late twenties, pre-pre fast internet era. You know, like in today's yeah. world, you know, I, I can start, I can build a website tomorrow, and and. and Learn on Google very fast how to do something and, and start to pedal my webs. You're talking about dial-up pages loading, expensive mobile phone contracts. <laughs> yeah. What gave you the confidence to go? Suddenly, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do this online? So several so, things. things. I mean,
1: I, I, I had a good schooling, um, and you know, there's only three things that I think you need to come out of school with, and I think it made the world a lot more complicated now. Uh, one is a uh, good at, uh, good. At, with English, good ability with maths and confidence. Because um, there isn't a job in this world that you don't have to have communication skills and written skills and uh, I'm sure we've all seen how things have gone absolutely KY when people have put things down in email that have been written the wrong way and taken the wrong way, and or verbalised things on the telephone and it's ended up being uh, going down a real rabbit hole of of pain. Um, and so communication, English, the ability to communicate through written, etc., I think is critical. Maths, that doesn't matter if you're a tradesperson, if you're working in the city, if you're working in the shop, etc., you're going to deal with maths, you're going to have to count coins, you're going to have to kind of do So all the rest of it's niceties to me. So those are the two school, uh, core skills you need to, uh, to succeed, I think, in, in business, and then confidence. Um, and I just... We're going to have a Mark
0: Kirby guide to life. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, the, really, I mean, I was supposed to say, I was going to get a tattoo of it done, but I uh, realised it's too many words. Um, um, but some, um, a little saying I've always had in my life is plan for success because failure would take care of itself. And I've had plenty of failure, so now taking care of himself. Um, but actually, the, the if you just keep yourself focused on the, the thing that you want to do, then you don't worry about the failure. If you worry about the failure, you're going to fail. Uh, it will take you down there. So, um, um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I've had plenty of, you know, it's not certainly by any business person that tells you it's been just a just uh, one straight line upwards um, is life. They, um, you know, we've all had to go through lots of scars and, and pains uh, to, to get out. And a lot of it can end up just being luck at the end of it, to be honest with you, but you have to. Put yourself in a place where you can have
0: some luck in the first place. Sure. One thing I'm really enjoying about this podcast in general is is the uh, uh, perspective of the senior business people, leaders, entrepreneurs, detailing in the failures that they've had. Yeah. Because mm. to the outside world, as you say, it's that straight line. Look at yeah. everything he's done. And we were talking to, I think it was Mike Lander, where we were saying you have, yeah. you know, you know your own personal rap sheet of everything you've done wrong. Yeah. And and. And it's a lot bigger than everything you've done right, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> frankly. Yeah. But to the outside world, you you know, if you've been yeah. moderately successful, you've like this perfect yeah. sort yeah. of enigma of success. And actually, the truth being known, if, yeah. you, if you knew that person a little bit closer, you know, actually, I've had as many fade-ins as you as a successful yeah. person. Yeah. I've, just, I've just persisted with the ones that succeeded or yeah. got a bit of luck.
1: Yeah. Or, yeah. And are, I mean, they say they're character-building, and um, you know, anyone that has made success in business deserves it because you know, that there is a lot of... Depths you have to go to to sometimes get that success, but um, so do you want to me to list some failures? Yeah, go
2: ahead,
1: please. <laughs> we <have> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I started Go Response in two thousand and three, um, and it was just a prime time to start a business. So it was early internet days and all the rest of it. It was easy to do online marketing without it being thousands of pounds to, to uh, market yourself.
0: And what was Go Response, Mark?
1: Just to- um, sorry, yeah, good point. Uh, go Response started off. Yeah, <laughs> that was another strange one. So um, when I came out, of actually, actually just probably finish the story a little bit. So Go Marketing, I was in that for about two, three years. Um, I then found out that my then-business partner was um, um, taking money out the the business accounts and going oh, on nice holidays and things like that. So we obviously had to have a, uh, a bit of a divorce. And so uh, I arranged for him to buy my half of the business out. Um, and then I suddenly thought, well, actually, we've been doing telemarketing, which I knew nothing about Again, that naivety when I first got into it. Um, the trouble with that business was, forget to say, this time of year, everyone wants lots of marketing now running up to Christmas, and then they'll drop it two weeks going into December, and wouldn't pick it up again until February. You've got all the staff that you've either too many of, too less of, etc. So, the answering phone calls has got to be bloody easier. Um, so, um, I went on the internet and put up a website one day, um, just to see if there would be any interest. And uh, no word of a lie, within 24 hours, we had three inquiries and two of them wanted to go ahead. Right and I was like, bollocks, I don't know what to do. I don't <laughs> even know how we get phone calls to come in yet. I haven't even got this far. I just want to see if there was interest. Um, and so I still can't quite work out. how Within a kind of couple of days, I've, I've got a temp from uh, the deployed an agency. i got someone who could do a lunch cover. Um, I remember using a copy of Act, I, know, um, I think it was Semantic Act, which was like this early day CRM programme. I still can't tell you how I got phone calls to come in and it would tell them who the who to answer the name of the but it was pretty kind of shoestring and bits of blue and sort tape and all the rest of it held together. Um and that was how it kind of started and um um but very quickly I kinda of realised I'm not gonna make the same mistake again and just follow whatever um, direction the wind's blowing in, so that's when I thought, well, I can see there's some energy here, but I need to now get that vision and and, and move it forward. So, Go Response started off very much as <laughs> let's answer some phone calls, a kind of message taking type service, um, and then I saw where there was a gap in the market. You had the big sheds that uh, did all the huge contracts um, um, the, um, and that, in outsourcing. You had the mom and pop type businesses that did the very nice, bespoke, personal. Um, kind of telephone answering and said, they're your business. And there was a big gap in the middle um, where there was only a few people that were kind of occupying that. Um, and that really was because the technology investment to go from being the mom and pop business where you could have some lovely ladies uh, sitting in an office above a shop answering phone calls, you know, that investment might be a few thousand where it was going to be tens of thousands to take it to the next level. Sure. So that was where I just thought, well, let's take it to the next level then. So, um, 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 so, what I wanted to do was to give all of the kind of the capability of what the, the larger guys could do, um, but with the personalization and that um, um, understanding and bespokeness that you would get from a boutique kind of operation as such. And that's really what the kind of the, the initial vision was of um, uh, Go Response, was to kind of sit ourselves in the middle of that. So, then create a wow a bit, that was from personalization but away from capability as well. So, you know, within two years, we were 24 hours, uh, you know, providing 24-hour service, and then quite early on, we're bringing on kind of live chat services and social media management and all of these kind of things. Um, did, so, did it
0: require a lot of capital investment?
1: Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, that was a hairy start. I remember now. Um, when I took my first office offices in uh, sitting Board in the Kent Science Park, um, I, had, I was getting a, a loan guarantee scheme. Um, so, I think I'd put in about 20 grand at the beginning, mm. and then let's beg and borrow for another 20 grand. And then when I realised that I need to really take this up, I think I borrowed something like 80,000 or something from the bank, but it's on the loan guarantee screen. <clears throat> but um, literally, it was um, supposed to have come in kind of mid December, um, and I was getting to the end of December, and I didn't have a penny left to be able to pay the staff and all the rest of it. I thought, I can't let them go before Christmas, that's really not nice. But they're all going to be expecting a check in their bank account on the 1st or 2nd of Uh, January or whatever, and it literally came in Boxing Day. I think it was Boxing Day or the day after Boxing Day, and I didn't think banks would be kind of uh, working. So, yeah, that was fairly hairy. It was about to make everyone redundant on the 2nd of January, and the loan came through after two or three weeks after it should have done. So, um, that was cool. Um, And then it just really took off. Um, You know, we just seemed to resonate a message that people, and again, it was because we were talking about the customers, and what I realised very much very soon was that um, everyone in the call centre industry, I used to hate it, I mean, the, the, the um, conferences stuff were just horrendous, you know, everybody would be talking about what te- technology they got, on, you know, what the call to answer time was, and the, and the service levels and stuff, I mean, have you ever rung up a call centre and said, that's the service level of X, Y, Z, you know, <laughs> you just don't have any idea, of no connection at all with all this crap that they're talking about in terms of the time to answers and... Handing cool times and all of this, and everything about conferences was all about that. So that's where I went and so said, No, I just want the customers to say they're cool, <laughs> they're yeah. good. Hmm. What have I got to do to make them say so they're good? So
0: everyone's talking about the data around the, the call service. Yeah, No one's talking about delighting customers.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it really wasn't there it was spookily so. And um, that's it, um, it was just so all of these, and it really is. I know it's only about 40, 50 years old, the call center industry. But yeah, there's all these experts that, you know, and that's all they want to do is talk about, um, you know, how we can. And then, of course, they kept on changing. Now, we're going omnichannel, channel and multi channel and just, you know, buzzwords that were. Um, and then we've got not PPI, what was it, and, um, and PCI compliance. And so everyone wants to become an expert, at fear, and all the internal systems you've got to spend now to do this. And oh, people just weren't really that bothered, really. They just want to be looked after. So yes. <laughs> that was, was really but, simple, the, the customer really, doesn't, but, doesn't care about the
0: technology, no. do they? They don't want to see it. Right? They just, exactly. just want the end result. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. So
1: you know, we, that was how we led it, and to me, it was a simpler way of doing. It. Yeah. We had some good technology, but to enable us to be free to talk to the customers, not to hide away from the customers. Um, so that was uh, that. So, but it was great timing, to be honest with you. Two thousand and three startup business. You know, five years before the recession was kicking in. Um, you know, we we had we were the fastest growing. And um, um, sold um, the. the Business, um, they, they've they, heard of the Primsoft, but they evaluate different sectors of who's the movers and shakers and that. But we were number one, kind of fastest growing and all that kind of stuff for the first four or five years. So I just thought, oh, I, I'm, the, I'm the magic man. There's nothing I can do wrong. So we need to expand them. Um And then I thought, right, let's be disruptive. And this was again early days of kind of e-commerce and stuff like that, getting into 2006, seven. Um, and there was um, um, multilingual was starting to become. Uh, a bit more of a, uh, a thing. Now, again, if you're one of the big sheds, you can have 10 people doing German, French, Spanish, whatever it would be. Uh, in each language It's fine if you're a Sky TV or whatever else, that insurance company that needs to have multilingual. Um, if you're a small business trying to do an e-commerce business, you don't have, obviously, that ability. So I had this great idea. Um, it was fueled by Rioko because I have got a place over in Spain. Um, but, um, right, there's all these people here that are expats and stuff. They're going to be cheaper than the minimum wage in the UK. They're all looking for work over here. That's a beautiful thing. Let's get these multilingual people into a room. We can divert calls from England over here, and they will basically get to answer in any language And the Bureau starts So another really good kind of a, a concept, except for two months after opening up, spending I think it's about 150 grand to get the, uh, the whole facility set up and all the technology and stuff. Um, two months afterwards, uh, Lehman Brothers went bust. <laughs> And uh, the euro went from 145 down to about 105. I think it was in the course of about five months.
0: Uh, the numbers changed significantly. Yeah, the numbers changed
1: significantly. Of course, everything was flatlining. Spain was going into 30, um, you know, unemployment and really, you know, almost becoming a basket case. Um, UK wasn't much. So where we've done that kind of growth, and now taken on these two operations. So that was fairly kind of, whoa, we didn't expect this, and I think most people didn't expect it. Um, but talk about the bad times, like a great entry in you know, 2003, a terrible entry going into Europe. And I just had this thought that uh, Spain's going to be a bit more, it's not going to be so much politics and bureaucracy and stuff like that. It's the closest thing to communism, you know, if you <laughs> actually deal with the, uh, the actual kind of... Um, when I realise that, um, I mean, they're just sort of crazy things like With employment contracts over here, you don't realize actually how good it is to run a business in the UK until you've actually stepped outside. Um, I mean, we can pay by the hour here. I could give you a 20-hour contract, 10-hour contract. If you're a working mum and actually all you want to have is some, um, um, some uh, money for the end of the week or something like that, and you want to do 10 hours, it's fine. In Spain, you can't do that. So you have to work, uh, basically, you've got to pay 400 euros or whatever it is a month minimum social security. So there's no point actually having a part time job. You yeah. might as well be on the social, uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the collections as such rather than. I didn't um,
0: know that. Does, that, yeah, st- does uh, that still exist today? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And um, every contract. So when they uh, went and saw the, all the investment boards and stuff and they said, um, um, yeah, this is how much it would cost you to have staff and all the rest of it. And there's always a speed in that. There's 3% they're not telling me. Yet. There's 97% I've done as much as I can do to research it. It's a ah, three percent. Yeah, that's, the in my favourite, and it's always that bloody three percent that would creep up and the thing they haven't told you. And actually, over in Spain, I mean, if you say that like, I'm going to work in the call center or the, uh, marketplace, they will have twelve different bands of um, the different positions of hierarchy in the, in the kind of the state contracts and such. Um, and depending on where the role is, you have to pay that as a minimum wage. So even though they told me, you know, basically this is the minimum wage, it was that person down there right at the bottom, but actually the person who should answer the phone call should be on nine euros an hour or whatever it was. Um, so your advice is get an advisor, a local advisor. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I'll get a local partner. Yeah. Be that. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, then they, they they decided that so they didn't like, um, you know, spend a quarter million pound over there, they decided I'm still the, uh, the alien that come over to their country or whatever, and so um, um, I'm sure you've had it in your office. You've got these posters, like the big health and safety posters you normally stick up behind the toilet or in the kitchen or something like that. No one looks at them. We just know that they're there. I didn't have one of those. I knew nothing about that. I've had to have one up. Um, they find me €6,000. Uh, not even a warning or anything like that. It just oh, came out. and um so I thought, well, I'm not going to argue this one through. Let's just take it straight out of your bank account. I didn't even ask for bank details or anything like that. It's just a crazy place. That's I mean, there's lost. lots of stories over there, I can tell you. So that was a quarter million pound that was lost in a year uh, from something that I thought this is going to revolutionise the world. But so now I'm you know, completely bombed on that one. It's an expensive uh, yeah. lesson
0: there. Yeah. Uh, tangent, Tangent. we're going to do the Mark Kirby Spain series. I think there's going to be some yeah, good stories. Yeah. Okay, so um that aside, obviously GoResponse Response has, has been your main uh or your biggest business, I assume. Oh um, yeah, that's it yeah. Um, yeah. so can you explain a bit more about the journey? So obviously you've you've been the magic man up to two thousand and seven, yeah. two thousand and eight, and we all know two thousand and eight the next three years is yeah. just you know, very hard to run a business through. How did you do that? How did you navigate the the recession tides, and then how did you emerge
1: from it and yeah. grow? It was a tough time, and it can't. Kind of, I think for many businesses, it, it wasn't an enjoyable time because you know we're, we're all enjoy going forwards and and building things and um, um, and moving up. Um, you know, over the course, of, you know, two thousand and seven, I think it was doing one point five million uh, turnover, and you know, by the end of the recession, we've doubled that, so we doubled in size. Um, but the, the the fact of the matter was that um, as much as you try to sell value, we were in a world where, um, you know, the, the, the bean councils would say, you've got to cut 30% off your customer service costs, don't care. So all the kind of the stuff about, love like the customer and all of that kind of premise that was there beforehand was, actually screw the customer, we've got a lose 30%. So phone numbers were dropping off websites, left, right and center, everything was trying to get kind of automated. Um and so the call centre industry, their way of reacting to it was just to drop their prices. And what
0: did you do? Um I did my best to help my price um and to, to push harder
1: on the kind of on the value side. But it, it was tough. Um because what you would have is when let's say that you in the, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, if you guys came to me and said that we've got to get a call centre service on board for our e commerce business, we would talk about it, you would either like what I had to say or wouldn't like to, uh, and then we'd shake hands, get a contract done and do it. And then going through the recession, you know, basically everything was being done by committee, you would now have to go and speak to the people from that department, that department, that, because no one wants to take ownership of making the wrong decision. Um, so even though you'd have uh, an absolute um, uh, partnership with the person that was the uh, front of line of the procurement, as soon as it got t- taken back to the board to be signed off, and they've got an option here for 30% less, then basically it just got scuppered. So yeah, it is true, just a lot of hard work, really, too, um, and getting out there and uh, putting a face to things. Um, didn't really get too involved with going for tendering. That was just where it's a beauty parade normally for the incumbent to just be renegotiated. So we found that ours was about people, uh, doing people. So It was very much about getting out there and, uh, and getting through the doors and trying to, to work within the room. Um, but it did mean that when I got to probably 2012, thirteen. Um, as we were starting to see that what they called the green shoots at the time. Um, the vision that I had obviously was quite disrupted by now, it, um, and I knew that I needed to do something, re-visualise what the business was going to be, if it's going to have any future, because at the moment people were literally giving away contracts for less than cost um, in order just to win the contract. And I didn't want to be part of that. That was really uh, what we were about. Um, so that's where I took a bit of time to try and re We understand re-look at the opportunities and where uh, where we go forwards.
0: Did you do that on your own? Did you have advisors? Did you take courses, read books?
1: A lot of the thought process was on my own. And again, it was about trying to decomplicate everything. Because again, when you're right in the middle of things, you just see about what we do with what we have now rather than just putting yourself right back. So I wouldn't say it was a kind of a jump out of the bathroom eureka moment, but um, it was a lot of soul searching. And... You know, do I just get out now? Because maybe there isn't a vision that I can. You know, maybe we are going to be the, the fax machine of our generation, as such. don't know how good your fax machine vision is If no one wants a fax machine, then it's it's no good. So, um, so I had to question a lot of that stuff. And then, and then I realised at the time we were looking to start to kind of a bureau service, which means sorry, what a bureau is? We have a group of agents that will answer the calls of communications on behalf of lots of companies. So rather than them being dedicated to one customer. Um, you'd have a team that would look after lots of customers, and basically, as the you know they field them in, so they'd be answering or dealing with twenty, thirty different customers um, um, uh, during the day uh, on behalf of the, uh, these customers. So I wanted to do that with live chat, and um, the trouble with live chat is, is that it was the big uh, thing that everyone's talking about how exciting it's going to be. But live chat, you know, was eleven minutes for an average chat session, where a phone call was three minutes, and you still got people that are you know a cost underneath it. So um, I couldn't see how this was all going to really work, but we knew that that's what the market was asking
2: for. And then I suddenly realised that actually, all the systems we have in call centres really is to basically to um,
1: empower the agent uh, to do the right thing you know, not go off script and stuff. So yes. um, when you look at email systems and uh, chat systems and stuff like that, really you know, the chat comes in; they're taking the looking at it, taking a kind of a canned answer, putting it in there, topping and tailing it with a little bit of personalisation, and sending it back. I thought, well if they're doing that, surely can't we just give that to the customer to do it themselves? Okay. Um, and that's when I started to think, yeah, now I'm getting excited about where I can go with this now, because everybody, you know, the success in the call centers how many bumps on seats you had. And I thought, well what about if I make my success, how many bumps on seats I don't have? Um, and how much I can automate them. Um, and Kill the industry to a certain extent by going against the grain of really what has always been the measurements of success, so many people you employ. So, you're really being
0: quite contrary than you're thinking at this point. Um, People going left, you're going to go right.
1: Yeah, and that's when I get excited. And to be honest, um, it took me a while to get to that because it goes right back to what we were saying at the beginning. I'd lost my naivety. I'd had so many scars from what can do and what works in this industry and what doesn't. And actually, I think some of the worst things you could do is go for awards. As much as it's nice to have these glossy names and say, yeah, we're number one in this or whatever, when you go in for awards, you end up trying to behave in the way that they expect you to behave as someone that's a peer in the industry and actually be disruptive or coming at it from a um, uh, non-standard way. It doesn't really serve you. And so, you know, that was one of the things I read. I've got to stop doing awards because, okay, it's nice. I've gone to Vegas. and you picked up some metalware and stuff. But... Actually you I've just become a clone of what these others are. and you just try to have a flashier powerPoint presentation than what they did you know um and so that was it. so that's where I had to kind of take all of this you know, all these kind of layers off that uh, put on me all the things I said it won't be you suddenly do become and um and that was it, so that's where I had to take it It took time you know it, it was a struggle to kind of say how do I actually do something different here
0: so what did you do? <clears throat>
1: Well, I was at first going to um, actually then create some technology which would allow us so that if uh, people wanted to go on live chat, um, then to try and serve them, rather than going to an agent and the agent looking up the answer, give them the answer at the source. Yep. Um, and then if they couldn't get that, then they'd have the option of having an agent to click in. And then I remember seeing this um, being at a call center show about a year or two beforehand. I don't know why it stuck in my head, but there was this tiny, not like, one meter by one meter stand. Uh, someone that was doing this technology that um, I was about to get all these developers and, uh, to develop it myself, and I suddenly ran with these guys um, and um, um, went to um, found their number somehow and uh, contacted them. They were based in Israel and um, they didn't really have much of a presence in the UK. And explained what I was doing, flew over to Israel and um, tried to kind of uh, see how we could bring it back to the UK. We could be there, boots on the ground in the UK. Um, and that's pretty much where we were going. So we then realised that actually, that where we can create a niche is to become the digital call centre um, and um, have kind of people power technology. Um, uh, we kind of floating as one well, the, of the lines and such. So, um, where basically we will have people do less people, but greater people doing what they're doing. So, we're not going to have the race to the bottom pushing down the price of. of Salaries and wages, etc. We can have less people who are better paid, better skilled, uh, more versatile, uh, and technology playing together nicely. Um, and um, it was, yes, yeah, starting to create a really good story. We've got some good clients that came on as a consequence of it. Heathrow an Airport, and uh, I'm trying and think of some others. A few years have been out of it now, but um, um, and very quickly, I then found out that people wanted to buy the business, so they could see actually we were starting to craft a. Uh, bit of a different
0: noise in the game and uh, yeah so uh, so I never actually got to see the journey through as starts to the end but um, I certainly started the journey off and that was' what basically enabled me to, to uh, become attracted for an exit so you've gone through an exit with go response yep yeah, um,
1: uh,
0: two years ago yeah. what when when I guess when people first got in touch with you regarding um, the potential sale of your business? What thought process did you go to had it been something that had crossed your mind before
1: oh yeah yeah no i had my five-year plan um and that was all part of the vision statement that i created right at the beginning was what's the business going to look like when it's done and that's a really important thing i think you know we could keep on growing a business um and the business may not ever be done but when is it done for you when have you actually said that was what well, my journey was that's the then game that i was looking to set it and then maybe I'm not someone that could take it onto the next level. I don't think I'm the kind of guy that would be right for a hundred million pound business, and just not really that kind of build. Um, but um, so you know saying, well, what would be the kind of point? that I think I've kind of taken to the enjoyment that I'm getting out of it, and yeah. uh, it'd be better for someone else to take it and perhaps make it more corporate
0: and stuff like that. And again, did you find that thought process from within, or was that someone else advising you?
1: Yes, um, good, uh, good question. Um, it was part of. It was something I realised I needed to do. Um, but early on, when I started Go Response, after realising that I just, you know, you know, the criticism I had from how I've had Go Marketing before that was that we were just going with the wind and wherever there was a dollar, you would kind of follow it. Um, and I realised I need to be really kind of focused and uh, determined. So even if you go off the vision, you're, at least you're asking yourself, why am I going off the vision? Rather than not having any kind of a game or point so that you're just following blindly. And um, so I, one of the things that I adopted uh, a lot when I was um, working with franchisees in uh, mailbox, etc was uh, a system called the E-Myth, I don't know if you've heard of. Oh, look,
0: I've read the E-Myth Revisited. There you
1: go. Yeah, absolutely. So that's been My, a huge Michael, influence. I'm Michael Gerber. Gerber. That's right. Um, so probably uh, that's been the most influential kind of, I suppose, methodology of business that I've. Always work with it. it, just resonated with me. It's built very much about franchising, so that's how it kind of started uh, there. Can you so, remember a couple of the salient points, the key points from the book? Yeah, I mean, the, the big line is work on your business, not in your business. Yeah. Um, so, um, which is, yeah, don't become a technician, um, actually become a business owner. Uh, and a lot of it is, and this goes back to the naivety thing, that people kind of generally have a skill and think that they can sack the boss and become a better boss than what they were working for, um, you know, whether they're an architect or, a, I don't know, working in a print business or something like that. Um, and actually, that's not the case, you know, because I think they've got all the skills more than what the boss did, that's, um, I can take all of my better skills than what he has and be a better uh, business owner than he is, but actually, they end up just making themselves work harder, work busy, not going to take holidays and become more stressed and have all of the baggage that you have know, with running a business. So. It's very much about how do you kind of make the business work uh, on processes. Yes. So with any business that I work with, any business that um, you know, to build a, you know, 130 people, 24 hours a day answering communications, you've got to have some really good processes
0: that underpin that. So. Um, and so that's really cool. Having the vision, and then how do we build processes that enable that vision um, uh, to um, allow it to grow and for other people to run it so that you can have the freedom to to yeah, not be tied into the business, but yeah. to explore everything. Uh, another similar book is something called Built to Sell, uh, which again teaches you how to work on the business, put processes in place, and um, even if you don't want to sell, you know, have it in the shape such that it can be sold. Because if yeah. that's the case, then it's a very good business, probably.
2: Yeah. If it
1: passes DD, etc. Yeah. Um, so I took on a, um, um, So I brought on a consultant, uh, an English consultant, um, uh, for about two years, and it was supposed to be almost like a master's degree equivalent by the end of it. Um, I'm not sure if that's really... Uh, but actually it was, you know, sort of going through every single element of the business um, and applying a kind of an e-myth practicality to it. And, um, and part of the very, very early stages, and this is any kind of consultancy or any kind of non-exec work or anything like that to do with businesses, this is the starting point I always do with them, is to um, create... The, in the e-myth, they call it the strategic objective. Um, um, and it starts actually before that. The first thing is the primary aim,
0: um, and the primary aim is about what is it that you want out of it. Because the business, at the end of the day, is just a vehicle to really get to you, to get you to what you want out of life. So, what is your personal objective?
1: Is yeah, okay. absolutely. So, understand what your personal objective is, um, what do you want to have in your life, what don't you want to have in your life, and then start to look at the business and say, right, how is the business going to deliver that for you? Um, what's it going to look like? And I think we get very caught up when we're doing business plans of. Really, they're adverts for banks, you know, we're, we're putting a nice kind of glossy kind of it, we're going to do this and straight line Yeah,
0: look at these sales <laughs> go up <out laughs> in this linear yeah.
1: fashion. Profits, <laughs> like, yeah. 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 loads. Yeah. I don't think it's a business in the world that's ever, has <laughs> been on their business <laughs> um, to the moment. Uh, but, um, and so that's where we forget, that's where we think that we're creating that kind of a strategy for a business that actually it's not, that's just a, an advert for the bank. Um, you know, but when you're creating a strategy for a business, you know, what's the car going to be like that you pull up when you're parking there? You know, when you walk into the reception, what's the reception going to look like? What is the atmosphere going to be like? What are the kind of people going to be? What's the characteristics? What are customers going to say about you? These are things that are actually the elements of the fabric of the business. It's the touchy-feely, tactile stuff. So it's
0: very sort of uh, visualization-oriented, that you yeah. sort of projecting how you imagine things would occur. Yeah, yeah. And because that's easier to replicate.
1: Um, You know, to put things into a spreadsheet and say in month 36 we're going to have 1.8 million pounds. There's a nice thing for something that's calculated with a formula behind it, but it's not something you can actually believe in. You know, it's it's just um, something has to create that. So um, that's where the design is. I think that ties
0: in nicely with your everything is is a conversation. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Statement you made earlier in the podcast, you know, it's very narrative driven, etc. Mm. And you're right, actually, uh, you, can, you can get lost in the spreadsheet, lost in the numbers, but if you can't
1: contextualize that,
0: then yeah. it's yeah. very hard to deliver, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, we're talking sound bites so much now, don't we? And so everybody has all these industry jargons and sound bites and all of these kind of things, and they actually get to believe it because they've been repeated it to themselves that are politicians it? and that's yeah. it yeah and actually they don't actually have any substance behind what they're actually it's not a belief it's just that so they know that they have to have this kind of uh, uh, metaphor or whatever so um just but, like Andrew
0: and that's because soundbites are very easy for people to understand as well yeah, I mean, yeah. so I think Mark Dugdale one of our previous guests he, he gave the example of Theresa May saying, Brexit means Brexit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <All laughs> no, shit, goes, what does that what mean? Does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly right, yeah. It was just a fallback. I don't know what to say, so Brexit <laughs> means Brexit. <laughs> 100%, yeah. So putting something down that's in your own words, that's crafted by yourself, a three-page document, that's what I did very early on um, with co-response. And that really, I think that document gave the more propensity for success for the business than anything else. Because actually what I did was um, put this three pages up. This is what the business is going to look like. What's it, what it's going to be, who's going to be serving us, what customers are going to look like. This is what they're going to say about us, etc. Um, and what I did, everybody that came in to work for the business, they got a copy of it. Oh, so right. they knew what the vision was. You know, there's no point in coming giving up your life for me if you don't understand what the journey is that we're going to go for. Um, all the suppliers that were coming on, and it was amazing, actually, one of the first ones I did was give it to HSBC Bank. I was at a networking thing. Um, and we were only doing, I suppose, about a quarter million quid at the uh, turnover at the time, and I was speaking to the area manager that had, I was on the threshold of five million quid businesses plus. Um, and I suppose I, mean, I was pretty passionate. And I said, let me send you something about the business, and uh, so I emailed him this thing. And then he asked if he could look after my business, even though it was way behind behind. He said, I know you're going to get up to that kind of figure, so uh, I want to... And so it's interesting that when really you actually can give people that vision, get them excited about it, that actually opens doors and so you um, can then,
0: suppliers,
1: the vision statement. Yeah, as well. I've
0: never heard that. That's really, yeah. that's really
1: yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah because a lot cool. of the time you're trying to negotiate that you know we've got a lot to give you at the moment, but if you, you know, we all sell the blue sky, but actually, if we actually show what blue this sky genuinely trying to yeah, do, yeah. You know, this is yeah. You can judge
0: me on. Yeah. So how did your staff take it? Because again, it's. it's I mean, it's still novel today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so anyone that was coming through interviews, etc., you know, not the first interview, but say the second interview, etc., you know, they they would have it in their pack. Any of the staff that worked in the business, it was a desktop icon, so any time they wanted to, while they were sitting there, um, how I, I doing this again? <laughs> yeah, they could kind of you know read the theory of Mark Kirby. Um So um, yeah, so it was basically just trying to be transparent, saying that this is what I want to do. Um, and quite clearly, so you know, a lot of people say never say that you're going to exit business because that gives people the fear of what's my future and all the rest of it. Um, and so, but I thought, no, So, I did have the five year vision in there, which tied neatly ties into 2008. So, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't the time to so exercise. You sent your vision.
0: new vision statement around in
1: 2008, did you say? Yeah, you so with it was a five year plan, it was 2008, yeah. so everything was going tick. So um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I had to extend that, but um, and that's why I had to redo it again. Really so you updated and you recommunicated. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, did
0: the staff buy into that?
1: Very much, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I remember having a non-exec myself, and he was basically of completely opposite opinion. You know, don't tell them, you don't give them too much information, you share too much. You've got to hold back and stuff like that. And whether it was right or not, I can't say really, but I had a hugely loyal workforce. You know, most of all my managers and directors were there for, for years with me. Um, I was very clear with them what my game was, and I knew that they would probably, you know, I was going to be the biggest um, beneficiary of any exit, than they were, but I made sure obviously that I promised to look after them, and I did. Um, but it's just... Again, it goes back to the relation thing, thing that we started at the beginning. If you start to make things complicated, then you start to actually think, no, this is the business way that you should do things. And, right. and if you get people, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the why, day. Why does it change the nature
0: yeah, of authenticity?
1: Yeah. You know, we go into kind of meetings with people, and you talking this way, and behaving use longer words like marmalades and things like that, yeah. and then you go out doors and talk about jam. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, right. Um, so, again, our last
0: podcast. Uh, Alexandra Alvarez, a mental health sort of specialist, if you like, and said, You know, I was talking about the masks we wear at home and at work mm-hmm. and so on, and how that really creates stress for you in the mind. If, yeah. if you do do that, which most of us do do, yeah. do, do um, whereas actually what you're saying is just, you know, for you personally, you need to be authentic and say, This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. and it goes back to that passion thing, and that, you know, if people buy into it, they want to see a genuine, that they're you know people are giving up huge parts of their lives i mean especially as you become more successful you know um i certainly wasn't doing the 14 hour days i might have been doing at the beginning but there were people in my business that were um and then you feel guilty you think my god i'm the one that's getting you know the biggest dividends here um but they're really doing things but that was no different than what i was doing when oh, i was in my yeah. 20s and 30s and stuff like that um so you do have all these kind of racks of guilt I think actually no that was what i did too in order to build myself back to. And move forward.
0: So I got a great quote by an author called Ryan Holiday who wrote a book called The Obstacle Is the Way. Right. And he he uh, says the canvas shapes the painting and also um, you gotta you gotta clear the path in order to lead the path. So basically yes. it's like an apprenticeship. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> Absolutely do your turn, learn, be humble in that, have humility, and yeah. then take those lessons learned and apply it to something else later on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because all you, otherwise, all you do is wrap yourself with fear. If you're just thinking about what is every, you know, if you're trying to create this facade and uh, um, an expectation that ev- um, everybody should have of you, etc., then actually you end up just crippling yourself. And unless you're like a Donald Trump that just doesn't give, give a crack in <laughs> the first like, you know, um... um Talk to a fake. that's fake news. There <laughs> <laughs> we are. So, um, yeah, so it's was a bit, yeah. Get excited, and other people get excited, and if um, and, and then it's good because um, you yeah, I'm not great on technology. I just know that I need to have things done. It's amazing that I'm running a you know business that involves AI and all the rest of it because um, um, but that's where if you've got the right people around you with the right skill sets, you know they hate you because you say I've oh, got this great idea. What by next week we need to have this thing that can do basically better than what NASA can do. But, <laughs> They've made it complicated, we don't need to do it, like they hear, you know. and they go, no, 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 no. but that's where the bands come in. But they get excited because that they, they you see it. And, uh, but you know, if you're trying to do things all kind of behind the scenes and you know they're not bringing people into that excitement and stuff, they hate you as much as they love you. We need Google, them but, <laughs> but better, yeah, that's <laughs> faster,
0: faster yeah. with
1: real people yeah. answering the questions, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they come back and say, Well, that'll take three months and 30 grand. And say, No, no, no. no I've already grand. sold it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right, so,
0: exactly. So let's go back to the actual exit for
1: response because uh-huh.
0: I think it'll be really informative for uh, some of the listeners. One of the questions I have is how do, you, how do you go about running a business and keeping business as usual going whilst going through what is probably a very complicated and uh, stressful exit mm. process?
1: It is a real weird situation um, because we were talking just earlier on about how open you are being with everybody and about this transparency and the common cause, especially if they've worked with you for many years, they have expectations of how your behaviour would be. And that's actually important is to have a consistency with your behaviour. Um, and then when you start to get flirting with these people that are you know, interested in your business, um, for a period of time, obviously, you... Need to just make sure that there is some proper interest there, and it's not just window, uh, you know, window shopping or kicking tires. Um, but at the same time, you're um, so it feels like you're having an affair, you know, because you're telling your kind of your daytime wife, your kind of team that's uh, um, in the business, you know, that uh, you know this is where we're going and all the rest of it, and planning ahead and stuff. And then you're having this kind of other conversation, which is for your purely your own benefit. Um, first, and then a bit of their benefit afterwards, maybe. Um, and in my particular example, um, I had, and so you do your best to try and cover it up, and actually I was fairly open to the kind of my closest senior team um, right from the go, uh, because fortunately I'd already set it up you know, so you know, from right from the start, I'm going to exit this business, you know, it was in paper, and um, so um, there was no lying there as such, but still, you know, these are people's futures and all the rest of it, I'm quite happy to take risks, and um, uh, but other people aren't so, uh, so uh, uh, open for risk. I remember there was, was one guy uh, that was interested in, in the call center, so I'm trying to. Um, so, so he wanted to come down and have a look at the call center. I said, well, "That's fine. we well, would just have to bring him in as if you're going to be in a client as a client." Um, and uh, he turned up in a Rolls Royce Phantom <laughs> with a driver in Sittingbourne. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think one's ever crossed the kind of the boundaries of Sittingbourne you know, ever.
0: As a sitting more
1: lad, I reserve. <laughs> <laughs> How many phantoms go up your road? <laughs> None of the car kind. there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, so, of course, you know, within hours, you know, the next morning, it's all gone around the call centre. Oh, that's someone who must be buying the business. Look at the car that he turned up in. Sadly, oh, dude. Um, so, it's really hard, you know, that's the call centre stuff. So, um, you know, just the people that work in on reception and all the rest of it, yeah. So. It's very, very hard to try and kind of manage, you know, from all that. And then, of course, you get all these, especially if i was mainly a people space business with a hundred odd people that would be in. You've got lots of chat and a lot of time for yeah, rumors you know. and conspiracy and all the rest of it going on. Um, and but as you go through the whole process, um, it's a real mental, a uh, lot of mental pressure because basically this was the child that you gave birth to, 10, 15, whatever years it might be beforehand. This is the one that was basically is a it's a replica of your personality to a certain extent. You can only create a business that has some kind of characteristic that's come from yourself, um, and yes, then you have other people involved and they start to manage that process. But you have to be the you know the one that's given it that kind of that charism- charisma or characteristics in the be- uh, in the beginning, um, and then when you get into the point where you're starting to groom the business for exit. Even before you've actually started people coming to, to knock on your door or the other way around, um, you're becoming quite aware that I need to stand back from the business, the business has to be self sufficient, it doesn't need me anymore. And so you do actually feel quite lost because you're, you've set this thing up that you were passionate about. You know now that I've got to step back, it's got to run itself, it can't be just the Mark Kirby show. Um, and then, so the staff see it weird, you know, because suddenly, you know, you were always there, if we ever had an outage at the middle of the night, you'd be in your car, and you'd be here at two o'clock in the morning, all this kind of stuff. But suddenly now we've got people that deal with that, you know, and, but they still kind of uh, see that as, well, have you gone off the business, are you not so keen on the business, and should I be replicating that person, uh, that behaviour? Um, so you're trying very hard to keep people motivated, but it's showing that actually you're starting to, you know, go more golf holidays and more kind of ski holidays and um, award things and whatever else it might be. That's a really
0: interesting point actually. Imagine yeah. that transition.
1: Yeah. So you've got the real early days there. Um and then when you actually do have interest in the business, you know that, that becomes because you really have to stay outside the business then because you're not investing in the business anymore you're not doing anything dynamic in the business because it's all about just keeping it maintained. Um <laughs> Um, and then you're spinning the plates where nothing stands still. It either goes forwards or goes back. And, of course, if you are trying to keep it still, it's more likely to go backwards. So you've got staff that suddenly start to think, well, I don't know what my future is here. I'm going to leave. But actually, they're quite instrumental to what you're trying. So you're now trying to give lots of cuddles and things to people that are quite important to look like the you know, part of the infrastructure that you're going to be handing over. So lots of different dynamics. And at the same time, Um, you're trying to work out what your own world's going to look like. This is going to happen. And in my uh, particular case, after six months of lawyers and uh, accountants and due diligences and all that kind of stuff, on the day before we we literally had gone through everything, the day before everything was ready for sign-off, a minority shareholder of um, the other company that was acquiring me um, pulled the plug. Oh, correct, yeah. So... You literally—I mean, the, the, the next person that you're expecting to see, my staff coming through the door with a new owner, I and mean, it's me the next morning. going, just kidding, it's me. <laughs> it's all an elaborate yeah. joke. <clears throat> yeah, and um, so how
0: did you deal with that
1: mentally? I cried a lot. No, <laughs> <laughs> I would. <laughs> yeah, yes. I think actually i be quite honest. For about a day, I had to lock myself away. You know, just to, you know, stayed up in the kind of the bedroom and just kind of like regroup really because you've got to go. You know, because. The, Everything was about, um, da, this is the new future. You've basically done your job to actually kind of get them really excited about the new owners and the new opportunity, the new direction, investments that are going to happen, and stuff like this. Um, and you've done yourself now a disservice because you've cheapened yourself almost, mm-hmm. and all of this kind of you, your, your future's going to be great. And then suddenly you're coming back through the door saying, I was kidding, no, no, it's better with me at the moment, <laughs> and, and uh, we're all going to be good. And let's just get back to what we were doing a couple of years ago and stuff. So, um, know, mentally, you've got to. You know, you were thinking you're going to be going, you know, box of champagne and <laughs> all the rest of it the next day, and then you going into the office to kind of have teas and cuddles, really. So, um, so it, yeah, it was a real, real tough period because, um, uh, you know, I did manage to kind of uh, re-engineer it with, you know, the, the, the people that did eventually acquire it, but it does show you the um, how fragile it is the exit mm. process. Um, <laughs> And um, without mentioning any names, you know, while I was going through this uh, process, there was a really good friend of mine that was completely unrelated business, was going through a similar thing, grooming his business for sale, was pulling himself back, put a management team in, etc. Um And uh, the timing, you know, had a couple of interested parties and one didn't go through, and then the business was folding within six months. Wow. Um, because it becomes obviously it's brotherless, you know, for that period while you're going through this transit. So it was a very, very dangerous period as well. And I was fortunate, I had a non exec uh, that had come from uh, uh, the the business. Um, So that's my sanity, you know, because I can't be expecting to get, you know, um, absolute um, uh, impartial advice from my team who are going through the road, kind of, as much as they won't show you it, but they've got a lot in their plate thinking, where's this going to be with my career and all the rest of it. So having that kind of neutral head that's uh, non emotional, not um, uh, pretty pragmatic and all the rest of it. Because There's a huge amount of emotions when you're going through an exit, as you saw with myself, you know, the day before the whole thing flopped, you know. So, you need to have someone that, um, yeah, you know, I would say never try and go through, depends what size business you are to a certain extent, but if it's a life changing kind of exit that you're looking to do, you've got to try and have someone who's neutral, who is, um, uh, on your side and basically batting for you, yeah. um, and actually can be part of the negotiation side of things because. You know the tough thing when you're going through negotiations for an exit for business is to not be emotional. You know because you've built up this thing, that's all this representation of you, etc. And um, and then this business coming in and that might be corporate and saying, no, all of that kind of know, yeah, yeah, that personality. Yeah, <laughs> we've got to get rid of that side of things. And then you know, but that's what the whole business was the DNA of it beforehand. And um, and now uh, we want to close down this uh, and move it to somewhere else. all these kind of things. We say no this is what the business is, you know, um, but having someone that's fairly kind of pragmatic and the same thing, it's not your issue, <laughs> you know, if they're buying a the car off you and they want to take it kind of, um, I don't know, uh, track racing it the next day, it's down, down to them. <laughs> you know, so it's but,
0: important from your perspective to have an impartial advisor to help yeah, you. Yes. Um, yeah. Any other lessons learned in terms of if, if you were having to do something like this, like this again? That's the gym. <laughs> if you were, it really is if you were having to do um, anything like this again would you do anything differently in terms of your own approach not necessarily outcomes or
1: just your own yeah, approach yeah that's a it? really good question um, I think one of the things uh, to do is to um, you go through the due diligence process and there's a lot of uh, that's pretty hard um, involve stuff. Um, so one of the things I think, you know, kind of looking back is if you're going to be building a business to exit, then have all of the stuff already all kind of pre-canned, already. Yeah. into uh, a kind of a mini data room type thing. Yeah. Uh, really. So that's um, um, because a lot of the time when they're picking, the, well, the, the obvious thing is what they're going to pick through the de- uh, due diligence to see what warranties and what other things they need to protect themselves over, but also to try and uh, cheapen the price. Yeah, get the price down. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you can be taken, uh, you know, basically proactively get away from that emotional part of it uh, by having things in place beforehand, then that that certainly helps.
0: So a stitch in time saves nine, sort of yeah. type, type of advice. It's time. stuff that you're going to
1: have to do anyhow. So um, it's just yeah, absolutely ha- having that as part of your kind of ongoing um, activities or, you know, making sure you've got, I mean, we were pretty lucky with the call centre industry. It's one of the most managed, monitored types of business, you know, every. Time the phone is picked up, every word that's said is recorded. Every time the phone goes down, etc. So the amount of data there is phenomenal anyhow. But uh, uh, but still, yeah, having that pre- uh, preparation so that you look like you're in the driver's seat uh, was important. Um, I think the other thing was was that I was sending to kind of known entities, and maybe uh, it would have been interesting to have uh, put it out in a traditional
0: kind of exit uh, where you get a beauty parade and get a. a, a an agency, policy. so through some degree of separation, you had a relationship with potential yeah. acquirers, yeah. And in hindsight, you'd say perhaps it'd be interesting to see uh, people you didn't have relationships with, yeah. I
1: don't know whether it would have been any better at the time. I took the view of well, these guys I've worked with uh, in the industry um, over, uh, on and off for you know, 10 years or whatever, so um, I feel there's a trust there, and you know, we're all going to be able to perhaps get over a lot more hoops. Now. But actually, that can perhaps make things a bit more complicated uh, because you came from being friendly competitors to now actually come to take another position. So uh, I can't say whether it would have been any different. Um, um, but um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think certainly making sure you've got good people around you is really important because you are, it is a lonely place when you go through an exit. Um, everybody's got their own things to, to think about. and... Uh, you need to make sure they will, you know, because it's very easy to, well, as you see in my situation, for the whole thing to not happen. Um, but you know, a lot of people, if they get a figure of mistake, i don't know, have three, five million, whatever their exit value is for their business, um, have already mentally spent that money. Sure. Because they've got six months to think about it, you know, while they're going through all of this. And then, uh, suddenly when they get chipped down to three and a half from five or something like that. And then they kind of destroyed, and left. Or the other way of it is that you don't even think about that that money side of it. am just in the process. So you're lost on both sides. You're either kind of completely throwing yourself two feet over what the world's going to look like after I've left and not going to buy all of that rubbish. Um, or um, you're in denial that I am actually going to exit the business <laughs> because it's safer for me not to worry about something that's not happened. You, know? you mean I've got to leave the office. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Not going anywhere. Security, he's back again. Check the small print. (laughs) So, for anyone that is going through an exit process for an SME right now, your advice would largely be: have your house in order. Yeah. Uh, So have the data room. Yeah. um, Almost, you know, over the top. You know, more the more data, the better. Yeah. For for the potential acquirers, have a good team of advisors around you. Yeah. and what sort of mentally detach to yourself? Is that what you're saying? Well,
1: you Perhaps? have to kind of uh, do that. Uh, so, as much as it's important to have advice, as that can help you with the business behaviour, as such, um, you know, the negotiating with the buyer, and you know, what to do, and if you've not been through the whole process of having a share purchase agreement and then negotiating and warranties and, and all of that stuff, um, then. Um, Yes, you need people that can advise you both on the legals, the accountancy, and also having maybe a non exec that's actually holding your hands with the how to work with the the buyer. Um, But there's that whole personal side of things. This is the the softy stuff that probably doesn't get talked about well. As much as you put on as being um, the the business owner, this big, brave face that you know, take on whatever I'm throwing at you, it is a really tough time personally. Um, And so, it's good to find, whether it's someone that's uh, an advisor through the business or outside of it, but you need to have, I think, someone that's basically allowing you just to come of vent <laughs> or to, uh, uh, just to distill, to basically, you know, because a lot of emotions going on. This is something that built up, well, it was my life going to look like afterwards, you know. That still is a big, you know, because it's actually easy when you're running the business. You can, you kind of know what your turnover and profit's going to be each month. And then suddenly when you're this lump at the end, there's nothing replacing it at the beginning, mm. um, and so actually, I ended up becoming the most penny-pinching type kit that you can have because I'm used to it being topped up by X about a thousand pounds every month. Do you know? What I, mean? mm. I go to Monaco for the Grand Prix and have a big blast out there. I feel guilty, but next kind of month, once it's all yeah, back, it's all back again. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and that isn't the case. You know, and, um, and depending on what age you are, you know, more and more people are becoming entrepreneurs younger and selling younger. You know, at 35 years old, you still got another 40, 50 years in you. So, um, is, are we going to be that kind of one album artist? You know, that has a big smash, and can I replicate it again? Uh, you know, with a second album, which might be a flop. So, you get all of these kind of insecurities that can start creeping into your head. have you've got basic, when you've got your own empire, you know, basically everyone has to say what you do. Otherwise, you get sacked, or you don't become a client. Mm-hmm. When you've got actually someone buying your business and start to give you some poking, some buttons and things like that uh, for reactions and stuff to get the price down then you start to get a little bit vulnerable, and then you start thinking about, right, well, where am I going to go? You know, they're, they're kind of chipping away at my business and in the integrity of it, and then I've got to go and start this all up again a couple of years yeah. later or whatever. So
0: how so how did you deal? Or, so, what did you have any sort of coping strategies from, um, I don't know, mindfulness or mental health perspective? To from to of, ke- yeah,
1: tequilas. That's his family, so be yeah, my guardian angel. You know. um, the... It's about, I mean, there was something that got you into the business in the first place, and that's the thing that would get you out of it. Um, and you can lose that as you start to build up the business and all the rest of it, and become more detached and actually become a little bit, um, um, reliant on the success. I've become a success, so, uh, but there was something that got you there. The first, and, and a lot of the time success is a fluke. You know, you've mm-hmm. enabled the fluke as such, but you were there at the right time. Trying to sell the, the greatest fax machine now, as I say, was never going to give you anywhere. So I like the honesty, um, actually, because
0: luck, luck does play a key
1: part in, in these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and As I said, my friend I had a toy when business, you know, that went, uh, that's kind of six months later, and, you know, he was going to be executed for double the amount of money that I was going to do, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm jealous, but, oh, God, look how well he's done. And we started in the same year, and that, and then he ended up losing his house over it. So it's a uh, you know this is the uh, the craziness of the world we live in. So the realism of it. Um, so the coping strategies I think are have some time to sell. I mean one of the biggest things which I didn't actually follow um, as much as everyone said to me before. Um, take some time out after you sell the business because you don't realise actually how exhausting the whole thing is. I was going to ask about that that phase actually mentally what. I imagine you're so used to it, it's almost like being in a relationship to them not
0: being and thinking, I've got all this time now, and I, how yeah. do I feel
1: it? It yeah. must be quite a. But you know what, We grow up in the kind of world of Disney films where it gets to the end of the film and suddenly there's this big kind of like uh, you know, sunset in the background, all these tweaky birds and bug you and skip so. off down the path. <laughs> and they forget that they've still got to pay the next mortgage the next day and the going to get made redundant and all the rest of it. You never know, hear <laughs> the happy ever after, if you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean. And that's almost what it's like. When you... you, you, you they had this vision at the beginning that when I sold the business in five that became 13 years, you know, there's going to be this light bulb come down from the sky, do you know what I mean? It's going to just transcend me to this new uh, level two. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly right, yeah. yeah. Exactly right, yeah. And um, and I remember signing the, all the, you know, so you're actually bored signing all the bloody different papers you have to do in the legal office and stuff. And then they all kept silent and said, Right, you sold your business. And you go, what? Oh, what do? You we doing? Should go down the farm? I'm really back to <laughs> sort of. And I run me, mate, because obviously a lot of your friends are kind of, they're waiting for this, you know, you've got this image like it's going to be like good fellas, you know, when <laughs> I walk into the bar and everyone's kind of got out, jailed or whatever, and it's going to be just, everything's going off. Um, and they're more excitement. And do you know what? I had all my friends down the pub, you know, that were waiting for me, and I went home. And I had oh. a, a cup of soup, I think. So <laughs> I don't like, even drink cup of soup, I don't <laughs> even think of Another time in my life I've had a cup of soup. I and mean, it's just this is crazy, do you know what I mean? It just really is your mental place. <laughs> and that's within hours of it. And then of course straight after that, you think yes yeah, so you do go and have some jollies and you go out on some holidays and things like that but what's constantly in your mind is uh, you know what got you to wanting to be in business in the first. I never went into business because I wanted to be a millionaire and anything like that. I wanted to do business because I wanted to create something that someone else hadn't done. You know, it was my that was your biggest. driving force. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and I've always kind of said that if you do something well, then the money will follow it. But I, you can't just for me. I can't just create something that's money. I have to do something that I think is. is Creates that wow, the wow, uh, the, the relationships and stuff we're talking about with you know people and stuff, and then if it's making the right noise and people like it, then they will pay for it. So just <coughs> kind of that simple thing again, and um, so then you wonder if I still, if i miss you know, a couple of generations on from when it was all a lot easier and all the rest of it. So you're, you're walking around post exit. It depends. I mean if you've had a life change and if you've got millions and millions or whatever, that can take you up to your end of days so and it's not something but we still see, I mean, how many people do we know who are multi multi millionaires, billionaires and all the rest of that are still working into the seventies and eighties. I don't see that, that's not really I don't have but you still feel that you need to have some values yeah. of worth or whatever.
0: Um, sense of purpose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a very complicated. Yeah. So having that kind of that personal support I think is important to us as well.
0: Okay. Um Still a successful growing of a company and a successful exit. Um, and you've done some great things with the franchise stuff before that. Mm. Um, throughout that time, you've had to lead an organisation. Um, and so you've you know been in the field regarding what it takes to be a leader. Um, do you have a definition of leadership that, that you could share with the listeners? And do you think it's an overhyped sort of... Uh, term, or do you think there's some real substance to it? And do you think there are some lessons that say some aspiring leaders could take?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one because let's go right back to the beginning, where you know we make things complicated, and say this is the you know the secret source to leadership and stuff like that. But if we go right back to what we said earlier on, it's about we're just dealing with people, relationships. You know, and at the end of the day, you will have a different way of having relationships with people than you know um, I will or you will, etc. Um, so. You know, the key for me is I can't say that that is the behaviour of a good leader, and that's the behaviour of not a good leader. I think a good leader is going to be someone again that people connect with, they get what they're trying to do. Um, you know, the ones that are really bossy. You know, the ones that just want to cover everybody. You've got the ones that, um, um, you know, the you know Musk's who are just can completely kind of braincase a bit. You know, are not apparently the most sociable people in the world or whatever. But they're just a. Inspirational because of you know, there is, if you know what I mean. So, um, shout,
0: people, out, shout out to Elon Musk, just gonna put them there. <laughs> yeah, there we are. Anytime <laughs> you want to come on a podcast,
1: <laughs> I'm here for you. That's right, yeah, just don't tweet about it. <laughs> um, so, um, so basically, I think you know, in terms of leadership, it's just being sincere to yourself, you know, having that vision that people can buy into, um, and then just have consistent behavior. Um, I think that's really what people want, they, they want to know that they're getting on a journey that they can connect with, they can talk to their people down, uh, the makes down the pub with and almost verbalise it the same as what they, you know, the, the owner of the business does, um, and then people every time that they're going into work they, they know the animal they're dealing with. If you've got someone that because they're on an up or down or sideways or whatever is completely changing their behaviours, etc, um,
0: then that's, that hurts the, you know, how people see you as a leader, so. I think you've mentioned consistency a few times in terms of sort of consistency of vision, consistency of behaviour. Yeah, so I think it's quite an important principle. Yeah, but it's weird because I'm not really
1: consistent. <laughs> <laughs> You're consistent in that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what is it? I've got to remember the saying. I hate the word entrepreneur, by the way. So I, I never label myself as. I just feel it's. So many people look at it it's like it's calling yourself sexy. Do you know what I mean?
0: Scrap the intro, will Mark yeah. Kirby, serial entrepreneur. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> entrepreneur.
1: Just, just sexy. We've got <laughs> uh, it. Just, it's just I don't know. Anyone that owns a business, I mean, is an entrepreneur. Uh, and I don't. I think there's something that should be bestowed on you rather than you label like yourself. You know, someone said, you know, Will was obviously sexy, do you know what I mean? But yes. It wouldn't really sound so good for me if he said, I, I think I'm a sexy entrepreneur. Taking off the business cards. There we <laughs> go. <laughs> so, I don't know. Anyhow, but I think someone described entrepreneurs or, um, uh, um, yeah, uh, people that have, uh, business owners that have unhealthy um, levels of optimism or something like that, um, which yeah, I think is really, like, a nice way of kind of putting it. I forgot actually what we're bloody talking about, What what we talking about. So Leadership styles. Leadership styles. Um yeah, I'm still kind of not even sure where I was going with that.
0: Um Could I guess at your leadership style?
1: Oh we're talking about consistency. Yes. That's what it was. <laughs> yes, back in the room. Um so it's just about yeah, go on. I'd be interested in what uh, I would say inclusive. Yeah. Passionate. Uh, and transparent. Yeah, I think mean, it was pretty good, wasn't was That's my kind of right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sexy. And sexy, obviously, yeah. That's right, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I think we've got that whole, every corner there. That's the CV, That's That yeah. was really good. That was, that was poignant. Yeah, it was. Thank you very much. I mean, we'll have to start Don't with that. Don't say much, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Yeah, I suppose so, but it's just been sincere, really. I think, look, when you go out with people, you know, there are people that you go out and you think, they do my eating, but they're a good laugh, do you know what I mean? And they think they colour my life and stuff like that. And so you've got to be careful that it's not too much for people to think, no, I can't, 24 hours with this guy is, is it enough. But we just want to be excited in life, do you know what I mean? Some people need to have others that can deliver it, and some people just do it themselves or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, I used to have some real I mean, honestly, the, the number of times my senior managers would say, look, Mark, please don't behave like this in this meeting, it's really important for the business. <laughs> <laughs> and i I'm, am I'm get a proper talking to you mate. Turn it down, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But we'll give you the cue. So, But that's the great, it's the banter, you know, where um, we all know what we need to do and I've, we've got strengths and weaknesses and we are just have fun with it, really.
0: Any leaders in history, um, not just business, you know, sport, music, whatever, that, that you look
1: up to or have learned some things from? Do you know, it's one of those questions I hate because I know I should have some really good stock answer for it and stuff like that. I think the like, As an entrepreneur, Mark, yeah, so, are, there
0: any, are there any leaders in history?
1: Yeah, that's it. So. The Gallagher brothers. No, yeah. <laughs> but in a funny way, you know I mean, I get inspired by people that. not lot these. Because you know what? I mean, the, a lot of it is um, the PR behind these engines, anyhow, these top leaders, whoever it might be. Um, and actually, I get inspired more by just the normal person that will actually do... I actually get more inspired by the person who actually may work on, I don't know, laying carpets or something like that, but they will say something really quite inspiring about how they deal with customers and things. And I think, oh my God, why are you just doing that? You can actually... And so those are the kind of... Uh, the, the, just the, the normal, real people that you go through in life. where you're picking up, how do they deal with customers? That's that's really what I quite, quite get interested in, you know, when you're talking about... Um, uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be of any big successful company or whatever. It could be the man in the van, it could be uh, the person in the shop, etc. Yeah. Um and you know that that's just an
0: inspiring to hear how people kind of see and read and handle customers in those situations, right? Any any really incredible piece of advice from someone completely unexpected and just hit you square between the eyes? That's a tough question. Oh, Lord, yeah Um No, I can't think. I probably don't listen to people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not, not to worry. Any um, books or films that you would that have really impacted your life in any great way? Well,
1: well The E-Myth, I think, is the one that I would have to uh, reiterate for the, uh, the books. Uh, that, that's the main one, I would say, on the book side, of you On films, um, see, I'm a oh, sucker for all those kind of the mafia films, you know, the, the father and stuff like that. Godfather really 1 or 2, key question. Oh, two. I guess scrapes it. Yeah, because oh, you've got the De Niro in it. I'm, uh, I
0: have this argument with my friends all the
1: time. Yeah, I'm number one. I'm a good fan. Yeah. See, so, yeah. You have to give them all the sequel you know, for different reasons yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but the, notice how we don't talk about three. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was a shame. Well, <laughs> um, but I look at films like that and I think, that, you know, looking at Matthew, and I look at, I, you know, I read a lot of books on kind of, you know, organized like crime and stuff like that, and I think. From a business perspective, these guys should turn a left rather than a right. But actually, you know, the, the whole enterprise and the whole management, <laughs> and all yeah, is really amazing. On yeah. yeah, one yeah. of my favourite sayings
0: is just focus on the pebble in your shoe, mafia saying. Right, just get, get rid of the problem, the thorn in your side. But in mafia speak, that's like you need to do a hit on <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. From a yeah. business perspective, it's like focus on the core problem yeah. and get rid of it.
1: There's a few times I'm sure we should have gone the mafia route, but <laughs> <laughs> with staff issues. But there we
0: are. If you could go back in time 20 years, mm. so where were we 20 years ago? Right. Um, yeah. Roughly. You, you were, where were you 20 years soon. ago?
1: 27. So I was just about starting um, going marketing, I think. You were, right.
0: yeah, the last year or so of the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And you could give yourself some advice from, from Mark Kirby today regarding what the next 20 years are going to be like and the mindset you should have. What sort of advice would you give yourself? Do you know, I would stop
1: myself doing it because you take away that naivety again. You know, the, again, you know, the more that people try and tell you where what to look out for, right? So you wouldn't impart advice. Here. I think the the big advice is just believe in yourself. Um, and the other saying, I'm not sure if um, you know, this is go out after the watershed or, or not after the um But um, the other big saying I had is, 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 all the way through is tucking. Um If it goes wrong, it. If it goes right, fuck it. Um, and I know it sounds like a really dismissive plan, but actually, if you look at life, just sort of what really is, you know, all the things that were terrible things that happened in our lives two, three years ago, how much are they concern us now they don't, right? It's newspaper. Um, so why get so worried about it? Just do something, and if it fails, fuck it, it's going to fail. you know. It goes nice back to, um, you know, plan for success and failure take care of itself. You know, I've gone through personal ups and downs, as we all do. Everybody's got their uh, things that were happening. Then I was that i are going to be good and going to be bad. But actually, if you worry about what they're going to be, then um, you've got to be conscious. You know, you can't be naive. Yes, you can be naive, but you can't be completely uh, turned off to the consequences of you know what you're doing. Um, but actually, there's no point worrying about it until it does go wrong. They're actually, worrying, you know, get more quick time into the stuff that can go forward. So. I'm not sure, I'm not saying that I would have done everything the same as I have for the last 20 years, if you had that hindsight, but actually I think the the, the way that I've embraced I'm just living it is pretty much what, uh, yeah, the way thought was, you know, just don't worry about it, you know, just if you've got something you believe and you get excited about, um, you know, I'm doing things now that I'm really excited about, but bit of losing me money, but I am confident that they will turn into something because I believe in it if they Yeah. Don't.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I, I don't know who said it. I think it might have been Mark Twain. I think Mark Twain is the guy that gets attributed to stuff if you don't know who said yeah. it. So like <laughs> that. Um, I've had many a worry in life, most of which never happened.
1: That's right, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it does so many people, and certainly that's one of the biggest issues you have with staff is you know because they want to be conscientious and they want to be worried about stuff in the business. Yeah. Um, but actually, you know, the, in my little world, you know, we're i and not visually here, but if this is your world and this is all chaos, just imagine that you've got a piece of A4 paper in the front of you. The chaos you can't deal with. You know, there's But if there's a corner, that inch of the corner there is something that you can actually control, or you can get some reins on, then just start with that little corner there, because then that corner will build into influencing the areas around it. But people just see the whole A4 paper of chaos and think, yeah. how are we going to deal with this? And you just go into a meltdown over it. There's no point. If it's going to knock you over. It's going to knock you over. That's actually it's lovely advice to so sort of start with the thing you can
0: yeah. influence and build from there. You
1: can get excited by that, and then your confidence comes back, and everything else that becomes you uh, comes back because uh, you just block out the stuff that's going to be the stuff that tears tear strips off you. So,
0: probably last question, Mark. What next ten
1: years? You
0: know, if you could look, if you can go and project yourself into the future ten years, what do you hope to have done? Well, Over that time, different time of life,
1: you know, yeah, already yeah. had successes, what do you...? Yeah, it's a good question, I mean, certainly uh, every year I realise everything that you think you know, um, you, you learn that are things have to come back and show you you don't know, you know, so but that, that's quite a nice thing to embrace in life, that every time you think you've worked something out, <laughs> it, it's a, it changes its value. Um, but where our kind of got to, I was panicking, I think I said earlier on a bit about where do I kind of create my second album? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then you've set yourself your own expectations of you know what your lifestyle is going to be. And I don't mind if my lifestyle goes back to where I was when I was 20, 25 years. Not talking about going out, coming into that, but you know, rather than having five-bedroom houses, having a you know a smaller house and all the rest of it. It's about the happiness kind of thing. And we see so many people that um, they're just doing all of this kind of success uh, chasing for. Uh, the admiration of other people—that has never been. I've done my goal now, um, so if I have to let it all go and go back to square one again, I'm happy because I've done what I set out for myself. So the most important thing is not trying to just chase success; it's about trying to find the new adventure for whatever time in life. So um, I said earlier on that my passion has been music, um, and so what I've over the last few months of uh, this year have been doing is starting to look at how can I do something that. Uh, it gives back to something that's given me so much kind of, uh, fun and pleasure and adventure over the years. Um, so I've been creating um, uh, these uh, pop-up music events called Sussball Sessions, um, which have been going phenomenally well. Um, and it's when brilliant. we talk about the visions and stuff like that, the vision that I had in the first place, this is the one thing I've done in my life where actually it's gone in and exceeded the, the vision in terms of that, 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 what, I was hoping they uh, what is it, Mark? What's it called and where right. do people go? So, Sus4 Sessions. Sus4 is a musical chord type, so people ask what that's all about. S-U-S-4 Sessions. So, if you go to sus4sessions.com or um, 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 go to our Facebook page. Um, and so, we've been basically trying to, over the last 20, 30 years, I've been playing music now for 30-odd years. What would you play? Uh, saxophone incredible uh, well, wonderful isn't it? yeah it was, it was lucky I wasn't given the bassoon really at school really. I'm not sure where I'd be able to go with that in the pub you know, circuit um, but um, um, so uh, yeah it's a great great times uh, with it and, but you know, it was easy when I was uh, kind of in my late teens um, there was music night venues all around you, know, you could play it another week if you wanted to um, so much has been shut down with business rates and issues with like X factors and stuff like that which have kind of know uh, uh, killed that night music scene. Um, so I thought, well, let's try and change that a little bit, uh, brick by brick. Um, so um, I um, put together, um, um, uh, basically, looking at um, uh, quirky out of town locations, uh, breweries, distilleries, woods, um, farms, all of these kind of barns uh, uh, and things like that, um, and um, then basically putting up kind of pop up events of showcasing really good, you know, undiscovered talent, um, and, but trying to make it experiential because. You know, we go to kind of music gigs and you sit there and something of like the O2 or whatever, and it's just sterile. You're sitting mm. there in a concrete big round building. Um, with the stage that you can't see, where you can't you know, have to look at screens in order to see who's on the stage, and it's all compressed, and the sound's rubbish. And there's no atmosphere, there's no kind of real you know. I came from the rave generation, you know, where that was the last generation of people actually going out there and going crazy and enjoying that social life. And
0: you had long hair, didn't you? I, so I you did have a long perfect hair.
1: Raver. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those days are gone, um, but um, um, but you know it was life was so experiential then. You know it wasn't just about the music or you know everything was discovery and stuff like that. So that's what I wanted to do was so you know we were doing it out of town and stuff. You know we roasted marshmallows on fire pits. You've got snuggled blankets. You've got um, intimate kind of gigs um, and stuff. You know, you've got you know I did one last Fridays with wine and uh, fireworks and toffee apple cider and that. And so just trying to create a whole kind of a experience, uh, kind of in a boutique, 150-type uh, crowd. Um So at the moment, yeah, it's a loss. Uh, it's just something I've really enjoyed. And the same kind of thing that I never went into it to say, this will definitely make me this. Um, but now I'm talking to landowners about getting permanent locations and you know, putting up TPs, and starting to create. And then my back... So what's happening now is all my background kind of experiences are starting to come feed it. So the franchising, I can then create a process and a model. Which I franchise and have their, this concept. that can you know, be transported to other locations, and um, you know the people and the leadership and all of this skills before. So it's nice at the moment to have a I Something again, it might be one of those big failures that we talked about. But um, um, at the moment, it's doing something that you feel.
0: And, and is this is this your way to help? aspiring artists come to the foray as well as the sort of customer experience side of things that you've also spent 20 30 years to
1: it was both it started off how could i get back to the music thing um so for, for all of these um, events we video the artists and give them a proper show reel so that's why i find really kind of cool places that we can uh, host it so that it comes out well rather than it being you know taking a video in a pub with a fruit machine and the toilet door next door to so them you know, the, the typical band staging in a pub, um, you know, let's do somewhere that's ready, find all these kind of cool locations. Um, and then I wanted to create the wow, you know, I've got bored of the whole corporate thing. Um, it was, you know, I was just getting really bored of having to have committees of 10 people that you'd have to kind of try and sell into and stuff. And I thought, what's the fun? So, you know, so let's try and go B2C rather than B2B. Um, and actually, yeah, it's it's nice to create something that's actually reasonably simple in its in its concept, but is completely unique in terms of what is out there. And um, it's just got a momentum of its own. You know? So, um, um, you know, the advocacy has been amazing from what we're getting from people. So we try and find places that you can be glancing at that as well. So you're making a whole experience. You know, you can go out for the night and stay out. Luckily, I've had the summer for it as well. Yeah it
0: easy. It sounds good fun, doesn't it? Yeah. So hopefully, it hopefully, this is the birthing of your second album. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think it's a wonderful sort of place to stop. So, thank you. Thank you've you been absolutely much. brilliant. Well,
1: thank you, James, and uh, happy Halloween. And uh, are you up to anything
0: tomorrow? Uh, are we up to anything tonight? Should we go trick or treat in <laughs> the streets um, <laughs> sort of London? Excellent.
1: Flower bombs. We're going to do
0: yeah. that. So, watch out for win and joy. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Bye.